On this week's podcast, David Bell goes blind, Christian Hellman rants at the ranters, and I widen the scope of web standards. So, I supposedly need to start the show today with one of those apology things. What have you done? I don't do them very well. Uh, to be honest, I, I think it's a bit of a cheek that, that this young whippersnapper even brought up the subject, even dared to mention in my presence that I have made a mistake. See, it, <laughs> it's that Brad. Do you remember Brad from last week? Brad, Brad yes. was yes, yes. one of the ones that we covered um, who wrote a tutorial, really good tutorial, on responsive web design. And not only, I was slightly derisory towards Brad because he criticised Boag World and pointed out its failures um, in respon- uh, as a responsive web design piece. This is before the current iteration. Yes, yes. And admittedly, he was right, but it was very rude of him to bring it up in front of an audience while I was sitting there. Now, he has gone on to point out another failure of mine, right. which is I called him Brad Forrest rather than Brad Frost. Oh, well, you know, sorry, Brad, I normally pick up on things like this. So, so basically, Brad, you need to stop correcting me. It's getting embarrassing now. <laughs> I, you're, you're just looking petty-minded, um, wanting your name pronounced correctly. Yeah, goodness. I, I mean, some next. people are just expect so much, don't they? <laughs> it's just that, you know, there's no <clears throat> pleasing them. So there you go. That's, uh, that's the correction done at the start of the show. Um, are we going to talk he's about so, stuff? He's so sorry. You can tell, can't you? You are so sorry. What about uh, uh, pronouncing his name wrong? No, just Se- about, uh, secretly, I did it on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid little whippersnapper, young, uh, talented. Damn him! Right. Um, yes. I've Another been, week. I've been away. Have you? Where have you been? Uh, do, I, we, do you know what? I don't care. I, I don't to, care where you've been. I went to a conference. No, I do care about that, actually. Uh, I, but I'm not going to tell you now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I ask for that. I care about it because you owe me a blog post about the conference. Yes, and I am currently writing it. Hurrah. Um, and was it, it good? It Did was, you have a good time? This it, was, First of all, t- say what the conference was. It was New Adventures Conference, the last New Adventures. Oh, you're kidding me. They're not doing it again? No. Not, I mean, you might do something in the future, but not a New Adventures. Oh. Um, I can't believe I let you have my ticket. Yeah. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> Looked like you had a good time as well. Ed and Lee went with you. Yes. Uh, so, obviously, we were in bed by 9.30 every yeah, night. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, Lee, Lee lives in a vegetarian household. Um, <laughs> so, where, he consumed huge quantities of meat. Yeah. So he's, and I don't think he's allowed to drink either. Um, oh, poor guy. <laughs> so... So it was a, I'm, I'm just making this up, but no, no, I'm, I'm kind of partially making it up. But anyway, so we we looked on the, the the kind of bump that they'd sent they'd sent they'd sent through to us. I mean, it had like restaurants and, oh, and pubs. It was great. We found this brilliant pub where we went, went um, 
drinking proper real ales yeah. made from just down the valley or whatever. Yeah. Um, so I had loads of beer. Then we're wandering about, and we found meat on swords. We found a Brazilian barbecue <laughs> oh, really? in Nottingham. Yeah. Oh, awesome. <laughs> so Lee's in, like, heaven. It's like... <laughs> Um, so yeah, we're we're eating. So I naively thought when you said I've been away to a conference, you might talk about the conference and not the drink and the food. Yeah, but, oh, I will get me, to that. It? Okay. And anyway, as you say, there's a blog post coming on. on so you don't want to give it away. Is uh, that well, what it is? All I'm going to say is the the theme of the conference, uh, and it's one of my one of my kind of favourite subjects is the kind of um, kind of follow your bliss idea. Right, a bit hippie. Yeah, this is very hippie. Uh, But really what it just, it boils down to is make a living out of the things you like doing. Yes. Which obviously some people go, well, I can't do that. Yeah. You know, or or some wonderful things. Um, One of of the women, Jessica Fleisch, I think her name is, um, she, she, she put up a, she basically... Blog made a blog post and someone had content, um, someone had commented on it saying, "Well, does that mean that I have to play Golden Eye and masturbate all the time?" <laughs> 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 and it, it's, yeah, it's like kind of fair, fair enough. I mean, not everybody knows what they want to do, but if if you've got to try and make it, try and make your working life, which is going to be forty, fifty years, yeah, of your life doing something you kind of remotely like doing. Yes. Or if you've got two things in your job that you do and you really like one of them, or you, you like one of them a bit and the other one you don't like a bit, do the one you like a bit and make that your career. Mm. That kind of... Anyway, that was, that was the This the is, this is quite com- uncomfortable for me mm-hmm. because it leads me to compliment you and Chris, which obviously doesn't come very, <laughs> very nicely to me. Um, but... You guys have been brilliant at letting me do that because I I change what my bliss is the whole time, for want of a better word, don't I? And I flip from thing to thing. And you guys have been a great at kind of letting me do that and then trying to make money off of the back of it. So uh, you can kind of get yourself in that position, but it isn't very easy to get. I think I'm very fortunate to be in that position. Well, there's actually quite a big connection there that I'd never thought of until you said that, which uh, New Adventures is run by Simon Collison and Greg, can't remember his second name, Wood, I think, Greg Wood. Um, Simon Collison used to work at Erskine Design. Yes. Uh, and he left. Yes. Uh, so I'm wondering whether they didn't give him the leeway that he wanted. Yes. Um who knows? I, I, I only said he was knackered at the end of the end of the day, so I just said, "Cheers, great conference." See yeah. the end sort of thing. I didn't sit down and talk to him, but I want to ask him one day about why he left. I have asked him, but I don't know whether it, this is probably the right <laughs> environment to be discussing <laughs> okay, yeah. it. Yeah, okay, fair um, enough. It was it was complicated, anyway, but yeah. certainly it it did very much drive home to me. Uh, talking to him, how incredibly fortunate I am working with you two and, and the Absolutely kind of setup that we got. So uh, that's it. That's as much <laughs> as you're getting out of me. I, it was uncomfortable even going this far. I feel quite dirty now. But. So, a, but what? There's a but. And I. I the trouble with. I it, feel slightly irked about something. Oh, go on then. And I don't know what it is. <laughs> what, in relationship feel, to the conference? Yeah, yeah. In, in relationship to. Yeah, the kind of. Is this? It all I, sounds I quite naive to me. Well, yeah, maybe that's it. And also, yeah, a couple of things. The, the, the big name speaker was a guy called Wayne Hemingway, who um, basically set up Red or Dead with his wife. Oh, right, yeah. Uh, so you know, and a couple of things he said, which kind of annoyed me a bit. But I'll come, I'll, I'll put that in the in, into into the blog post. But yeah, I think it's just that. Yeah, maybe it is a bit naive, especially in this day and age when it, the times are tough. Yeah, I don't think. It, 
I started off by saying this is one of my favourite subjects, which it is. Yes. Uh, the kind of search for everlasting, shining peace of mind and all that kind of thing. And that's what this is about. But it's just left me slightly awkward about it. And I, I think I've got, I'm going to use this post to find out what it is. I don't yeah, know what it is. I mean, I think, uh, for me, when people talk in this kind of way of go follow your dreams, mm. and, and especially these days, the thing is, is, it is theoretically possible. We now live in a world where... It, there always used to be gatekeepers, right? If you wanted mm. to be a musician, you had to go through a record label. If mm. you wanted to be an author, you had to go through a publishing house. If you mm-hmm. wanted to, to, you know, be a creative designer, you'd have to get a job with an agency. Mm-hmm. These days, you can just do it, right? So, theoretically, it's possible to follow your dream and to, to, to do whatever you wanted. If tomorrow I woke up and decided that I wanted to be an illustrator, I could quit my job and I could start doing illustration online. I don't need anybody's permission. I don't need anything else. Yeah. But when you hear stories like this from conferences, these are all people that have succeeded in doing that. Of course. You don't hear someone stand, on the, uh, stand up there and go, yes, now I work in a cubicle for an accounting company because that's the only job I could get after throwing him a reasonably decent career to fail at being a musician. Yeah, and then my, yeah, and then, and then my wife had triplets. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or I got yeah. ill. Or, yeah, you yeah. know, there are all these... There are all these you only ever hear the success stories. You don't hear the failures. That's what and annoyed even, me about Wayne Hemingway. And also, the other <laughs> thing, right, I, I, you know, I talk about, you know, I'm sitting here saying that I get to live my dream. I get to do what I love doing, and I do the vast majority of the time. But there's still a lot of shit. Mm-hmm. You know, we worry about money, whether enough thing, money's coming into the business at any mm-hmm. one time. We have a client that's a pain in the arse. I, I get... Fed up with traveling, even even the good stuff like the traveling, which I love. Mm. You get sick of it after a while, and there is a, there is a degree where there is a danger of turning what you love into your job. Absolutely, because been it, there, it done that. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. the love of it gets stolen away in the practicalities of doing it and making a business out of it. So, it, yeah, exactly that it's, feeling, right? Yeah. yeah, it's kind of like yes, but no. Yes. Yes. There is a line there somewhere. But no. You kind yeah. of got to accept. I mean, I totally agree with the principle that, you know, you're spending eight hours a day for 40 years. You've got to love what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, and not many. And I would argue that not a lot of people do love. Right. What do. But I don't, I don't particularly love what I do, but I don't dislike it either. Yeah. That's what I think. Uh, and that's there's a probably, difference. Yes. That is the difference. You know, everybody go, you know, you get this thing that goes on where people say, I love getting up in the morning and going to work. Right. I don't, uh, no. to be frank. <laughs> no. I enjoy my job. There's a lot about it I like. But if I could sit around and, you know, play Golden Eye and masturbate, yeah. I would do. That's the one, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I would sit and do nothing. You know, if, if I won the lottery to... This is the other thing you people say, is if I won the lottery to... I would carry on working because I love doing well, it. I wouldn't. Well, <laughs> say that for nothing. I would... <laughs> no, neither would I. I would fiddle with the web. I would build things yeah, and, and exactly. maybe build a website for a charity every once in a while and fiddle at it. Mm. But it's very different to having to run Headscape and the, the, the pressures that deadlines go with that. Yeah. and the like, yeah. So Who it's wants deadlines if you don't have to have them? No. It's... Yeah, whatever. I suppose... And I, no, I'm going to repeat myself. We've, we've covered that one, but yes, it's, it's a tricky one. And I will probably refer back to it anyway later. Yes, probably. Okay, shall we move on and actually talk about something proper? 
All right, so first up, we're going to look at my new hero. This, <laughs> I, I've got so much respect for this guy, a guy called David Ball, right? And it sounds like he's just a, you know, I, 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 I mean, judging by the number of comments on his site, I imagine he's reasonably well known and I've just never heard of him, which is always embarrassing. This seems to be happening to me a lot recently. I think I'm out of touch. You're, yeah, that's what it is. You're just, you're getting I'm to that old and out of now. touch. Yeah. Can't a, be bothered. Would rather be playing Goldeneye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Masturbating. Yeah. Um, there's a, there is a picture of him, and he's quite young. I think that's that's possibly why I don't know him. I don't know young people. Well, I've read anymore. stuff off Silk Tide's website before. Have you? Yeah, they. they yeah, I have. I think these guys. These were the guys that decided that they were going to stop doing um, client work and replace it with product work. Was it really? Oh, yeah. it was them. Well, anyway, David Ball. I, I, I he's my new hero. Whoever mm-hmm. he is. David, if you're listening to this, you're my hero. Because he's done something that I have started and stopped so many times that I can't mention it, right? <laughs> what he's done is he decided that he wanted to experience what it is like for um, somebody with a visual impairment to use the internet, right? Mm-hmm. And so he turned on his screen reader, closed his eyes, and off he went. Okay? Now, I've done this. Right. I've managed to go <laughs> five minutes, six minutes tops. Try it. Seriously, guys, <laughs> try it. He did a week like this. Right. That's astounding. That Absolutely is astounding. astounding. I mean, he's quite honest in his post. He says that there were times when he backed himself into a corner and had no idea what was going on. So he peaked. <laughs> right? and i've got ultimate respect and i think to begin with when he first started he looked quite a lot mm. um but as he gained gained confidence he ended up wearing a um you know scarf to uh, blindfolded himself so he couldn't mm. see and um so off he went and he, he spent a week doing this and wow 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 i would love to do this no i wouldn't i would hate to do this <laughs> but i would love to feel like i should do this no or something like that anyway. <laughs> so so impressive um and he learned a load of lessons as you would do the trouble is i mean he says this you know he's a um uh you know he's not a stranger to building accessible websites neither am i you know, I've, I've built a lot of accessible websites over the years. Headscape do a lot of accessible websites, but nothing beats actually do it, yeah, living experience it. it. Yeah, 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 because knowing all the theory is not the same as doing the practice. And even though he knew all this stuff, he still learned loads when he actually lived as someone using a screen reader. This is why um, you know companies like Ability uh, uh, Net, mm-hmm. um, link in the show notes. You know, really encourage you to, you know, if you're serious about accessibility, you need to get sites tested by real disabled users. It's not enough just knowing the theory. You've got to know the reality, too. So should we have a look at some of the things that he learned? Because it is quite fascinating. His number one, which I I did know, but I can completely understand him being kind of surprised at this, which is a screen reader reads the entire desktop and not just the browser. And it's easy for us as web designers to kind of focus so much on 
on the kind of browser experience so we don't think about all the other elements they're having to deal with you know how to even get to the browser in the first place and that kind of stuff mm. um so that's not a big point but it is worth mentioning uh, his second point is the, the crux of it it's difficult <laughs> well, <laughs> no yeah, shit sherlock <laughs> i think it's also a case of i mean yeah it's bound to be difficult because you're not used to it yeah i mean that's what he says is the learning curve is st- steep steep Getting to know the keyboard shortcuts uh, just to move around the page is difficult. As for remembering that where the keys are on your own keyboard when you're blindfolded. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, so obviously he was, you know, you could argue someone that is visually impaired um, has probably got more experience and, you know, and so is more used to that kind of world. Yeah, it's going to seem even more difficult to Him. a sighted user. Yes. Yeah. But... I think you've got to be really careful about that one because that that can be a really useful excuse. You can excuse. use it as an excuse. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Exactly. Oh, yeah. That'll and be fine for somebody who is And And da- some, at some point, a blind person has to sit down and start using, uh, you know, the web yeah, yeah, for the true, first time. True. So, absolutely. <clears throat> um, uh, let's have a look at what he says about that. Yeah, he says... <laughs> That basically, um, it, it did, it does melt his brain, you know, as he tries <laughs> to deal with this sea of electronic voice coming back at you. Yeah. Um, you know, and uh, you, obviously the, the, the longer you do it, the better you get at it. So, but it is difficult. Third, he says, it's different for different browsers. And this is an important one. And he, he's got some stats here about oh. what um, browsers blind users prefer with Internet Explorer 8 at 30%, 9 at 28%, and Firefox at 20, um, 20%. And he actually discovered that um, his favorite browser um, is Chrome, um, that the, the, the experience was very different. And so he switched to Firefox because it did a very good job at doing accessible navigation. So it does make a difference as to what browsers you use, which is fascinating. Um, Firefox, for example, um, uh, seems to deal with some HTML5 nav elements much better. And so there's all kinds of different things to consider. I'll let you, you know, I'm not, I, when we kind of go over these things, I, I don't want to kind of go into it too much detail because go and read the post. It's such a good post mm. that you want to kind of look at it yourself. And we'd have a two-hour podcast. Yes, that too. Number four he's got um, is that you learn to listen fast, right? This is just, this is absolutely um, amazing that, how if you've ever heard somebody that really is visually impaired using one of these devices they do listen to it at a rate that's almost incomprehensible right well it is yeah listen to this i've got a bit of video that he refers to do you want to turn us up um Marcus? yeah i think you're on right okay let's um oh i need to turn my sound on here we go so i listen to my screen reader like this i've been told that's more fast so I mean, that's just <laughs> insane. <laughs> How can a human being process that? <laughs> now, I've heard Robin Christofferson, who Yeah, I was going to say, he's the guy that I've seen talk two or three yeah. times and does it. And it just, it's like, because it's the electronic voice that's got, that's got absolutely no personality in it whatsoever. Yeah. Just, just like, ah, turn it <laughs> off. Ah. <laughs> yeah. So, but I suppose if it's the only, if it's your only method of getting the information, then you get used to it. But yeah. yeah. 
Um, but interesting, I don't think he he has it quite as fast as that. I mean, that no. was just insanity. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you do have to learn to do it faster. Otherwise, like, your life would slip by. If you imagine some web pages, yeah. the number mm. of links on them, the yeah, number yeah. of, oh, just it would be painful. Um, and he kind of goes on to talk about how some popular websites are actually very difficult to, to use. Facebook, for example, forget it. Right. And it's really interesting because there are articles. That's surprising. Yeah. There are articles that talk about how accessible Facebook is in theory, but um, they've got um, infinite scrolling, a Mm. JavaScript infinite scrolling thing that basically just um, combined with a screen reader reduced his computer to a crawl. He couldn't do anything on it at all. Um, And then Amazon is the classic one that Robin Christopherson always criticizes. Mm. You think... Amazon, for crying out loud, you're the biggest online retailer in the world. You really have no excuse. Yeah. You know, um, he said, you know, he went to the, the Amazon homepage. There were a thousand links on the page. I mean, how do you even begin to <laughs> yeah, navigate yeah, yeah, yeah. that? It's just ridiculous. Um, one that is quite shocking is that link titles aren't helpful, right? Um, uh, this, this, uh, Surprised me to be honest. I, I I'd read it before. I knew it before this article, but um, it's really quite interesting. I'd, you know, he says he'd always assumed text added um, to a link as a title attribute would be read aloud by a screen reader um, instead of the link's normal anchor text. So, in other words, if your anchor text just read "click here," right, which we, we you know, we say we shouldn't do, but still loads of people do it, or read more, for example. Mm-hmm. You kind of justified it by going, ah, oh, yes, well, if if people are visually impaired, then there's a title tag that says what they're reading more of. Well, it won't get read. Ah, right. Which is really interesting. It turns out it's not used at all, except on the rare times when there's no link anchor text at all. So if there's just a link around an image for example oh right right then it is then it will be but if there's no if there's text in it it'll just read the text rather than the um the title tag so you really 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 can't use click here or read more no okay. which you shouldn't which have been kind of anyway. do, not using that anyway yeah well you shouldn't that's be, poor people are number seven is that um autofocus is annoying when you suddenly are, are thrown from one part of the page to another mm-hmm. um so you need to be really careful how you use that being W3C valid means Jack. <laughs> Thank you. It's so good to see that, um, you know, uh, written down. I've always sought uh, to make my websites pass the W3C validator, but even the big shiny green tick, you barely make, um, even make, uh, begins to make a site accessible. And we're saying this more to more to clients, you know, and they're coming back and they're saying to us, oh, we want to be AA compliant or whatever. It's not enough. You can't just. Oh, sorry. Um, you right. can't I'll just think in terms of of the automated checkers or W three C validators or anything like that. It's got to be more than that. You've got to put more thought into it. Um, number nine is it's easiest to navigate using headings. So it's really important that your um, uh, your documents are nice and semantically written up in mm-hmm. order to help people. So that's really good. Um, and uh, number 10, his final conclusion mm-hmm. is blind people are very good at keeping their rage under control, <laughs> <laughs> which I yes. just think is brilliant. So that's absolutely superb. Very good post. Um, I, I would encourage you even to do it for half an hour and mm. see how you get on. 
um, because it is quite an eye opener and it is quite an experience. If you want to, um, oh, now see, there's this the point. I, 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 if you want to see a screen reader in action and a proper person using it, um, proper person, a proper person, <laughs> a proper person yeah. not a pretend not a person. Pretend, yes, um, Christopherson is going to be talking. Um, at an event in Portsmouth that I think is called Altitude. Altitude. Um, that I'm also going to be at. Uh, oh, sorry, I'm just trying to search on this. That's really annoying, isn't it? I hadn't thought about it. Here we go. Yes, Altitude 2003, altitude.io. Um, and this is going to be happening in February. Um, our poor internet connection means that I can't tell you the date until it actually. Do you really mean two thousand and three? Two thousand and thirteen. Let's say two thousand thirteen. So it's going to be on Wednesday, twenty seventh um, of February, two thousand and thirteen. There's going to be Robin Christofferson there. Um, there's going to be um, uh, Jeremy Keith and Mike Coos, and I'm going to be interviewing all three of them. And cool. it would be particularly interesting to interview Robin Christofferson, um, who obviously is going to be talking about accessibility. Mm-hmm. And um, I will ask him how he keeps his rage under control. There you go. <laughs> so come along to that. It's in Portsmouth. Check it out. It's only like 35 quid or something. So it's an absolute bargain. Of when a is conference. it? Um, it is Wednesday, 27th of February from 7 p.m. And it's at the top of the Spinnaker Tower in Portsmouth. So That's the day be before cool. my birthday. Nice. I could have an afternoon out in. It's an evening. Evening. Seven o'clock. See, now you're going. No, I'm not going to do that because that's outside (laughs) work hours. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's move on then with Marcus's complete and utter caring about accessibility. All right. So next, we come on to a post by um, Christian Hellman. Now, this was suggested by someone, Stu Robson. Robson. Thank you, Stu. I like it when people suggest things. If you'd like to suggest things too and make me happy, then go to bowagworld.com forward slash season forward slash five and post your suggestions for um, uh, new content there because it's always good. This is a, a relatively recent, very recent post. Is it? 27th of January. That's 2003. That's not, that's like yesterday. Yesterday. So this was, <laughs> this was recommended this morning. No, it was <laughs> recommended yesterday. Cool. So there you go. So um, Christian Hellman, um, having he looks like Robert Plant. I always think. I don't know who Robert Plant is. Lead singer in Led Zeppelin. I don't know who Led Zeppelin is. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> what do you do, Paul? Okay. It's it's about criticism. Yes. Um, and I, it's this is a funny one for us to cover, really. But I think it, it, it the the stuff that he talks about in this kind of applies at lots of different levels, right? It applies at the web community level and how we interact with one another and how we move the web community along, mm-hmm. which is where what he's mainly focusing on, on in the article. But if it had been just that, I probably wouldn't have covered it because I don't feel it would be applicable enough to the, the audience that um, listen to the show. But it also applies on a kind of agency level, right, internally within an organization like Headscape and how we interact with one another. Mm-hmm. And then also it applies but in the relationship between the client and the web designer and the back and forth there. And it's basically about how do you go about um, telling somebody that you disagree with what they've done in a way that makes you not an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I don't think we're very good at that. And I, um, and I think... 
it's made worse by the fact that a lot of our communications are electronic these days. Yeah, and and a lot of people are total cowards. Yes. And uh, uh, well, feel, and feel that it's perfectly okay to say hurtful, nasty things because they're not in the same room. They wouldn't dream of saying things yes. like that in the same room. Absolutely. Um, and I, I think really it's, it's all about... Um, the thing is, is that to some extent, criticism is an essential part of... Any process, really. So it's an essential part of us maintaining the standards within Headscape that I can go and pick apart a designer's work (laughs) in, you know, in the nicest possible way so that they excel and it gets better. Mm. Equally, a client needs to be able to turn around and push the designer to do more and better you know, or the agency to do more and better there. Um, equally, the agency needs to be able to tell the, the client that their idea is bad. And even within uh, within the web community as a whole, as we explore new practices and techniques, some of them are going to be duffins. Some of them are oh. going to be ideas that aren't practical for certain reasons. We need to be able to say that and we need to be able to push things on. People need to be able to criticise you, Paul, definitely. Indeed. They need to be able to say, you're wrong, Paul. And they do many, <laughs> many times a day. Um, but the trouble is, is, is that I think, and, and Christian Hellman isn't criticising criticism. <laughs> See what I did there? Um, he's criticising drive-by criticism, which I think is a great way of putting it, that kind of drive-by shooting mentality. Um, you know, I, and he's concerned that we're seeing an increasing amount of uh, of badly executed criticism that's scaring, stifling and making people feel like a failure and that we need to be careful and we need to try and avoid that. And it, he talks about how good criticism takes time and effort. Um, you know, a good criti- uh, critic doesn't just point out the flaws in something. Um, it, it, instead, they kind of explain why they perceive these things as um, flaws um, and what impact that's you know that kind of has on the overall state of things and it, it does it in a, in a nice way and he 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 talks about how many people are put off um, of of putting stuff online putting stuff out there because of a fear of criticism he talks mm. about how he spent a day at a hack event helping people port their existing or, or um um uh, or completely new apps across onto um a, a new system i guess um and he was he it was great to work with a load of developers over that day but he was struck how incredibly grateful people and thankful people were when he helped them out with their problems that they got stuck on and when he asked these developers about, you know, well, surely you're used to other people helping you out. You know, that's mm. a kind of standard part of what we're doing. You know, do you not, do you not um, ask questions, you know, online? He said, well, um, and the, the overall answer he got is that people were scared to ask stupid, what they considered stupid questions online for fear of people criticising them. Well, I mean, th- th- other than you and I... Everyone in Headscape, all of which are capable of writing posts, all go, oh, I don't really want to because people think it's rubbish. Yeah. And it's like, I don't like, well, who cares? But yeah. <laughs> but that takes a certain character to Yeah, yeah. And uh, it is this, I mean, uh, but I do, I mean, if you read any popular article and, and just go and have a look at the comments, it does make you want to slash your wrists. Yeah. Because well, of the mm. idiocy of, the, of half the people commenting. It, dep- it really depends on 
the environment. Uh, I've talked about this before. Yeah. The, the commenting, uh, yes, on Twitter, yes, on YouTube, yes, on Facebook or not. YouTube Facebook. probably takes the biscuit, actually. Yeah, YouTube yeah. is just unbelievable. Mm. But, for example, the commenting on my blog is always very constructive. And, and I, I, I think, think someone said bollocks to my, the last post I read. Yeah, but <laughs> in a very tongue-in-cheek way. Um, <laughs> but yes, they did, yeah, that, was, that was their entire comment, wasn't yes, it? Just the word bollocks. Yeah. <laughs> Which I thought was quite funny. Yes. Um, but now, generally speaking, I think the, the commenting on our, our blog is um, good because people know us. Right. Yeah. The, you know, they know us through the podcast and it's more personal. And so that makes it harder to just throw random horribleness at people. Mm. But it really does sadden me, this state of affairs. It saddens me that the people at Headscape worry about posting stuff um, online. It worries. It saddens me that people regularly give up speaking because they feel criticized whenever they speak. It saddens me that people won't even ask questions online. And mm. this is what... Um, uh, Christian Hellman is really kind of picking apart. <laughs> I do like, I just looked at, uh, you'll probably get uh, get into this, but Steve Klabnik, this is talking about Twitter. Uh, Twitter makes it so hard not to accidentally be an arsehole. <laughs> <laughs> it does, because when you're stuck to 140 characters, it is quite difficult, isn't it? Because you can't explain yourself. No, no, it's not a great medium. What it goes on to do, mine, which is really nice, is he posts um, a... Uh, a response somebody wrote um so somebody proposed a new technique right mm. for for um uh dealing with javascript and loading scripts and styles and that kind of thing and he includes the reply that he thinks is a great template to um uh to constructive criticism good criticism i just want to read a couple of bits of it it starts off hey jan glad to see people hacking around coming up with new ideas is always good thing no matter how um realistic they are um uh blah 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 Mm -hmm. um so he starts off you know hey it's great you're doing stuff it's great you're putting new ideas out there you're trying new uh, new things um by the way the approach you described has not been done by anyone else in the past Right, which is a good thing. Mm-hmm. And then he goes on to say, but I believe there's good reasons for that. Right? And then he starts going through, point by point, why he feels that this idea wouldn't work. But after that, he then concludes... Um, let me see if I can find it. Um, by the way, don't give up trying. Crazy ideas are something that leads to great discoveries. And I just think that is such a good template there. He starts with an encouragement. He breaks down his criticism point by point, explaining very specifically why he doesn't feel that it will work, and then concludes by an encouragement again in lifting someone up. I just think that is such a good template. And there is another positive here. Um, Christian Harmon is famous. Yes. People know him. He's entertaining, good speaker, all that kind of thing. And he is impressed by the guy yes. uh, and is writing about him. You know, so it's kind of like he, he's added kudos to himself. To himself by giving good constructive criticism. Exactly. He actually says that, doesn't it? Somewhere I think he does, article. yeah. I couldn't find it. Um, you know, I, I, yeah, he, he says... Hey, that, I, I got a massive respect for, for David. And he's never heard of Someone I never heard of yeah. before. So it's kind of a win-win on, mm. on all sides, isn't it, really? Yeah. So I, I, there was no... 
reason really to include this in a, in a sense that it, it's not something you're going to learn from it's not going to a new technique that you can adopt but i think talking about these kinds of things just raises the whole standard of the discourse that's going online and it's so important to know and learn how to provide constructive criticism mm. one of the uh, probably the only thing i learned from my degree course <laughs> <laughs> was because i did an art degree was how to do a constructive criticism and how to encourage someone and to lead them because especially because your work is incredibly personal to you you invest a lot in it and it's very easy to get ripped down um when you put yourself out there and you know just take me in that seo um Mm. post you know i say that i don't care about criticism i've got thick skin but even i got ripped Mm. down by that it is easy to be pulled apart i've thought of um i'm going to recommend a post for next week which is mark bolton talking about design critiques oh okay cool from a couple of years ago link in the show notes so you need to give me the link to that you've now committed (laughs) committed us to it so that's it we've got to include that next week's show sounds like a really good one it was so there you go check out christian's article he kind of he goes obviously into a lot more depth than i i have in my ramblings here um and he's a lot more coherent (laughs) um but let's move on to the next post so i'm taking a bit of liberty with this one (laughs) <laughs> because it's one of my own posts. So it's been recommended by no one but me. Okay. But the reason it's been recommended by no one, it would be. I know it would be. I people, know you pe- would... People are out there recommending it as we speak. Well, no, uh, yes. <laughs> as, as they're hearing this, they would be. The reason they haven't recommended it yet is it hasn't been published. But I know that there would just be hundreds of emails and, and comments and Twitters. It would have made it to the BBC News homepage. I, it will be. <laughs> yeah, it will be very big news. Um, it, it, I wanted to talk about it because I got quite... It was one of those posts that when I sat down and wrote it, I surprised myself um, at quite... Oh, how difficult our jobs are, basically. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, not me personally, yeah, more, yeah. My, more clients' jobs than me personally. Okay. So it's the next post of my um, web governance series, right? Um, in the last post, I talked about um, kind of uh, policies and procedures and stuff like that. And this post, I kind of builds on that and, and looks at standards mm. um, and... We all kind of know about web standards, don't we, in the web standard movement has taught us about best practice um, and standards that make our site more efficient. But traditionally, we've always thought about web standards being about HTML, CSS, JavaScript, technical stuff. But actually, I think it's, it's a lot more than that. I think standards web standards apply to a huge plethora of different things Mm. and then something that we need to be um, recommending to our clients that there are standards they need to be putting in place and uh, and as website owners that we need to put in place and these are, are really important things especially as your sites get bigger so there's standards in like four different areas that i've kind of outlined um design standards build standards content standards and social media standards so i just want to quickly flip through them you read the article to get the whole thing um but i talk about how important it is for us to be putting together um design standards for the for the web work we do and having because um a, a kind of official 
design language for the sites that we produce so that they can be taken on into the future. Many organizations already have like brand guidelines. Mm -hmm. um, but unfortunately, most of these documents are created with print in mind and don't really adequately address kind of web issues. So I really think we need to start producing design standards documents for the web things that address things like layouts you know the, what grid system we're using what templates exist for the design uh, design elements that we use on our sites you know how does the layout adapt for different devices these are kinds of things that don't exist in traditional brand guidelines and that we need to be producing for the web um adjustments to typography you know what what works in print doesn't necessarily work um typographically online um you know and yes okay we can use whichever fonts that we want now but that can backfire quite horribly i mean I, we had a recent project where um uh the, the client wanted the same typography that they have in their print guidelines. And we always used to be able to fall back on the position of, oh, you know, it's not possible. You can't have that, you know, yeah. because of the limited fonts. But of course we can now. We can have pretty much any font we want. But it doesn't, A, that doesn't mean that font's going to look good. And B, in this particular case, it amounted to something like a three meg download mm. to download the fonts. So, you know, typography is something we need to think about. Color. You know, corporate color palettes often need tweaking to work on screen, logo usage, all of these things we need to put together, you know, as a, a, a design standards for the site that we produce. The BBC do a great job at this with their gel um, global experience language um, policy that they've got in place. Yeah, Imagery. Kind of there's a big overlap there with content strategy. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And it's kind of you know, brand related again, but absolutely it's asking questions before you produce something yeah. new, basically. Um, imagery is another really important one about setting dimensions. You know, how big are images? How they're going to be compressed? How you're going to deal with responsive design? Um, you know, all of these kinds of things. So often sites are ruined. In fact, I can think of another site recently um, that that we um, launched, and I, I tweeted out about how great it was. You know, and the, the, we'd done the design work to it, and then the client had implemented it, um, you know, into their back-end system, and they got it working. And they'd uploaded a load of images that were absolutely huge. Mm. Um, so it kind of undermined all the wonderful work that we'd done because the performance sucked. Um, so yeah. imagery is another thing. But also, I think when it comes to design, we need to be thinking about who does the design, who gets to do updates on the site. You know, how much control does the content provider have over, you know, inserting design, styling and elements? Can um, your company, uh, can departments in your company go out and hire any agency they want to work on the website? You know, can they create their your own subsites? What are your policies and standards on this kind of thing? Then there's build standards, um, which tackles things like browser support, device support, your accessibility policy. And we're not just talking about double A compliance, as we've already said in the show. Mm. You know, what libraries and frameworks are you using? Because oh, so many sites, right, I've come across before where, you know, the main site uses jQuery and then there's some subsite that was built by somebody else that uses a different, you know, mm. JavaScript library. And you know, oh, so it ends up being a real mess. What about third party tools? You know, um, I've seen sites which host some video on YouTube and some on Vimeo and some on, you know, in different systems like that. Yep. So there's all that kind of stuff to think about, you know, map functionality, blah, blah, blah. 
So having, uh, there's also a need for a document which sets out your build standards, what those are going to be, what your policies are over that kind of stuff. And then, as you said, Marcus, is content standards. Mm. Who are your content creators going to be? You know, who decides um, uh, who gets to access and, and add stuff to the site and what parts of the site can they add? You know, do do those content creators need to undergo training before they can put stuff online? And not just training about the content management system, but training about how to write decent web content. You know, um, how are the content creators going to be judged? Um, what's you know on whether they're performing and producing good content? You know, is it written into their job description that they've got to update content? And so the list goes on. Then there's content workflow issues, mm. right? You know, um, so if somebody uploads a piece of content, does it need approval before it goes live? Who approves it? You know, how do they decide whether whether it's appropriate content or not, right? Mm. You know, um, and, and you know, somebody's got to make a decision about, you know, yes, this piece of content can go live or no, it's not, um, it's not able to go live. And what standards do they use to make that decision? Because if you don't have those things in place, then it turns into arguments, mm-hmm. right? You've got to have processes in place for this kind of stuff. Then there's kind of content style. What style and tone of voice is the site written in? What personality does it have? What grammar does it use? How does it deal with numbers? Should numbers be written numerically or written? You know, this is boring our stuff. <laughs> But it creates a consistent view across the site. How are headings written? You know, how are brand names written? Is Boag World one word or is it two words? Does it capitalize the W halfway through or not? You know, formatting using, um, you know, can you use lists and pull out quotes? You know, content structure about front loading things, making it scannable, having short sentences, banned terminology. You know, you cannot use acronyms. You cannot use marketing speak, cannot use jargon. Mm. Wow. Content removal. You know, who's... That stuff's not boring, I don't think. Yeah, but a lot of people (laughs) do think it is. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of people don't think this stuff needs writing down. Oh, yeah. That should all definitely be written. A good style guy will include that. Yeah. You know, about whether you, you know, how how you write numbers, all that kind of thing. Um, But it doesn't go as far as... And it also might be different for print than it might be online. Yes. That's one of the main... Absolutely. Content removal is another big one. Yes, quite. You know, who's responsible for removing content and what are your criteria for deciding whether content should be removed and how it should be removed? You know, does removal mean removing it entirely offline or does it mean removing it from navigation or from search or from both? Is there some kind of way of archiving pages? Mm -hmm. Is there some way of indicating to a user that a page has been archived? Then there's social media standards, right? Things like um, per people, um, employees, can employees tweet and or, you know, or do they, um, are there limits to what they can and cannot say online? Can they talk about their jobs? Can they talk about their employer? Do they have to have a disclaimer in their profile saying their opinions are their own? Mm. You know, answering these questions are, are, are not only good for the organisation, but also provides a sense of security to the employee. You f- might feel like they're, oh, am I allowed to say that kind mm. of thing? Then there's different networks. You know, what is your policy about different networks? How are you using Twitter and Facebook? Are they being used differently? Should you have pages on Flickr, YouTube, Pininterest, or any of the others? 
Um, you know, there are a lot of different networks. And what are you doing? Have you got policies in place to monitor and to maintain stuff that you put up on these networks? Or are they just going to kind of fall apart over time, if that makes sense? Mm. Dealing with conflicts, you know, how are you going to deal with conflicts? What's your policy over dealing with conflicts? Do you deal with them in a public forum or do you deal with them privately? What is, uh, you know, what is your policy if someone starts posting inaccurate or untrue comments about you? Mm. You know, what if they libel you? How do you respond to that? Swear. Yes. Yeah, swear. <laughs> so I guess... You know, I set out to write something about the kind of standards you need to have in place as an organization. And it turned out to be the longest blog post I've ever written. Mm -hmm. And it it, (laughs) It does go on. It does go on and on and on. on. Yeah. (laughs) And it made me realize quite how much you have to think about Mm. beyond just the build of your website. And we focus so much, don't we, on, on you know, what functionality it's going to have and user journeys and, 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 you know, design look and feel and all of those kinds of things, which are obviously are massively, massively important. But we, we are focused on such a tiny area of the whole web design picture. Mm. Um, and, you know, I really would encourage you to check out this post. Um, apparently, according to my, my site's wonderful stats, it will take you 13 minutes to read. And it's 13 minutes that I think any, certainly any website owner should definitely, definitely read. But also I think if you, um, have got clients and you're advising them on their website, you need to understand this stuff and you need to be making recommendations about it too. So check out the post. Hopefully you'll find it useful. Um, and yeah, let's, let's move on from that and, and look at Marcus's this week apparently totally unweb design related post yes um today's marcus post is actually um it relates to the fact that last night lying in bed i was just flicking through the telly channels like you do um, <laughs> I, love the, I love the process that goes into the selection of your post it's yeah. like completely <laughs> yeah it's popped into my head no well, i was I, I was watching uh, a program about Fleetwood Mac, about the history of Fleetwood Mac, the band, which uh, obviously most people in the world, certainly people, people my age and older, um, you know, know, know and love their songs. They're hugely famous. Um, but also in the fact that I used to be a musician, I'm interested in all the studio stuff. And, right. And I was, I was, and they recorded, they certainly recorded Rumours and Tusk and the big, big albums uh, that they're known for at a studio called Sound City in Los Angeles. Right. And there's like pictures of them in the studio and there's the engineer talking all in the studio and it's like great music was made in this place. I then flicking through for like, oh, what can I find to talk about today? And I find, again, on BBC News, as always, um, Foo Fighters, Dave Grohl turns documentary director. You're thinking, what the hell's this got to do with anything? Yes. But just, I, I happen to like the Foo Fighters. I like Dave Grohl. I think he's got a great voice, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and it's like, oh, he's made a film uh, about... Sound City Studios in okay. Los Angeles, and about the history of it, and all the people that have recorded there, like Nirvana, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Johnny Cash, Neil Young, Fleetwood Mac, Tom Petty, Metallica, Rage Against the Machine, Arctic Monkeys, etc., etc., etc. And then I thought, well, this is, and an, I guess the point of this show, to a certain extent, our show, is to say this is an interesting article, which it kind of is. I mean, I'm sure the film is what the interesting thing here, um, but it also there's a very, very kind of tenuous, tenuous link, link to what I was on. talking about earlier on, right? Which is about following your bliss, following your dreams, that kind of thing. Yeah. 
This guy is a drummer, is then one of the greatest front men lead singers in the world after just being the bloke at the back hitting yeah. the, hit the drums. And now he started making films. Yeah. So, all right, I mean, he's hugely wealthy, so he can do what the hell he likes, but he is following yeah, work absolutely. dreams, if you like. Yeah. He's now started making films, which is, like, really cool, uh, which kind of relates to what we were, t- we were talking about earlier. And, yeah, it's, it's a... It's a, it's a really interesting area, isn't it? Because mm. you've got to say, if you, are, if you do manage to do the stuff that you love then you put so much more energy into it, you well, know. Yeah, I mean, I've always said to my kids, when they're talking about what they, want, what, what they should be studying at school, I've always said, do the things you're interested in, yeah. because they're the ones you'll get the good grades in. And really, unless you're going into something that's very specific, I suppose, like being a, a .NET developer, yeah. but m- then you need a specific qualification for that. But for the majority of things, if you've got three A's, yeah, that it doesn't really matter in what. No, um, that will be viewed kind of uh, in, in a better way than three C's by that employer. By something I'm, you didn't really I'm, care about. No, I'm I know making what you mean. huge. No, um, you, you're you know. right. No, I can see where you're coming from. And also, you'll finish it. You'll do it, and you'll enjoy it. Blah blah blah. It's 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 actually again, it's related to what we're talking about in work. I mean, when you're at school, your work is the things that you're studying. So yeah. do the stuff you enjoy. It is funny, mine. Because you'll do it better. I, I, I because I'm not always sure about. Um, how how far that should go because you do see some situations where it doesn't work right so the, the one that springs to mind is Eddie Izzard right I love Eddie Izzard as a comedian mm-hmm. right I think he's amazing he's very very funny mm-hmm. but he got it into his head he wanted to be an actor um, and he's an okay actor yeah yeah I'd say he's okay but you know he's not he doesn't really it doesn't work but, as but well. But can you imagine the difference between being a stand-up? I think being a stand-up comic is probably one of the hardest jobs oh, in yeah. the world. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, and then he thinks, well, I quite like acting as well. Yeah, that's. Oh, I'm, I much prefer doing acting. I'm going to do acting. Now. Yeah. Even though he's much better as a stand-up, I can kind of understand why you wouldn't want to do that for a yeah. life. You'd die, wouldn't you? But no, I guess what I was I, I, in my head, I was thinking you tend to be better at the things that you're most passionate about. While in his case, he's not. In my well, I, don't, well, I don't know. I don't know whether that is the case. He might love stand up, but just thought it's just too much aggro, or yeah. I'm not earning as much as I'd want to be. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't yeah. Know. You don't know what the reasons yeah. are, but you do get. You, uh, you know, this follow the dreams mentality. <laughs> it has its limits because other, you end up with the X Factor first round. Don't you? Yeah, yeah. You know, these people... Not that I've ever watched this, but I know what's coming. Oh, yeah. It's just... It's awful. It's it's a train wreck. They should all be shot. These people shouldn't be following their dreams. You know, they should be recognising that their dreams are a fantasy. So there is a there is a line here in this whole kind of follow your dream. There are three he, things. This, what's this guy? I've forgotten the guy's name in your article. Dave Grohl. But it, it might be a shit documentary. Uh, I think it's trying to say that no, it isn't. It's really cool. Oh, okay. It? It's, it's obviously, but it's not just the the quality of the of the, the documentary. He's I mean he's he is getting to basically everyone he goes and interviews. He says right, let's just jam. Right. Which is you know, and people like Paul McCartney. Yeah. Uh, getting him just to make shit up on on yes. the fly so that's that's and i guess cool. the other thing that he's done which is very clever which i think is a good um a good way of this follow your dreams thing is he, you know he hasn't suddenly gone and become an architect 
he has naturally progressed. You know, his first documentary is about music. Yes, yes, it, yes. You know, there is a transition there. Um, you know, and certainly with in, in my career, as I've shifted from one thing to another, to whatever my latest interest mm. is, it has been related to what I have done in the past. And I think that's the, a really important factor in the follow your dream thing. Is yeah, That's great if your dream is related to what you're doing now. Very in interesting that you used the term architecture there. Um because, as I mentioned, Wayne Hemingway, who runs oh, owned Red or Dead, yeah, uh, which were kind of fashion, yeah, all the way through the eighties and nineties, uh, they're now doing architecture. They're building places, really, yeah, and that was brilliant. I mean, I, uh, I found I found that he was a little bit too full of himself. I don't know. That's, that's yeah. what annoyed me about him. And yet, whilst at the same time being kind of right on left wing, right? You know, we we. You know, we we I can't remember the example. I think it was when France were doing the nuclear testing. Yeah, they wouldn't they wouldn't let any of the French press into their you know their their catwalk thing. They right, were doing for okay. And basically, it you know it turned out to be the best publicity they could have ever yeah. done. Uh, a good a good story from that point of view. Uh, but then he kind of moved in. Brilliant picture. It's probably worth looking up that he he found these houses that had just been built in Swindon. Yeah, and he could put the picture up, uh, and he says, "What does that look like?" And I just said that to myself, "It's a prison." And uh, and then they put all the, the fences and the spotlights <laughs> right. around it, and they they basically taken that to the developers in Swindon, right? And said, "This, you know, you shouldn't be building houses like this." And anyway, that didn't go well. But they've built. They've since designed places up in the northeast that yeah. are kind of more community minded places to play, places for kids. Yeah. To kind of, grow up nice places and that didn't look like prisons um which is kind of cool but the thing people like him and i've seen you know the conferences often wheel out the guy who who's made millions from yeah. whatever and it comes down to three things luck yeah determination yeah and talent you have to have talent yeah you can't be the person on the first round of the x-files no. and expect x-files x-files X- x-files show me <laughs> Oh, did you see the end of Fringe? <gasps> oh, <laughs> yes, I did. But we can't talk about that in case there are people that haven't seen it. Okay, yeah, fair enough. But yeah. We'll talk about it later. Yeah. Anyway, um, yes, uh, it is a fascinating subject. I mean, I do agree. The luck thing's always interesting as well, because cause I look back at my, my career and I think, you know, there have been points where I have been hugely lucky. Ditto. Um, massively yeah but is there also a degree where you have to see those opportunities and grasp them um well i can give you an example of i yeah that no maybe yes but not always breathe yeah the band that that broke back in the 80s we had released i don't know seven singles in the uk lots of marketing push um, yeah um and never broke through. We released one single in America, did nothing at all. We then released Hands to Heaven yeah. in America. And the American chart is made up of 50% sales and 50% airplay. So right. if you get played a lot, you get you go up the Billboard yeah. charts. Um, and obviously we weren't selling anything to start off with. Yeah. Nobody knew us. And we were getting kind of plays on some small radio stations. But what broke us was a guy... In, I think it was San Francisco. No, it started off as a Mormon station, right? In Salt Lake City, a small one. Yeah. Basically, this guy put it on what they call heavy rotation, right? And when he and this was based on the fact that people were ringing up and asking for the song, "Can you play it again?" So right. it ended up going on heavy rotation, and this was a silver station, and then a big platinum station in San Francisco. Guy heard the song 
and thought, my audience is going to love that. And, yeah. then, and exactly the same thing happened there. And as soon as the big platinum station put it on heavy rotation, we got enough of a push that everyone, everyone on the did. West Coast did the same thing. And yeah. then you start to sell, blah, 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 blah. And there was nothing I, you could I have couldn't done have done that. anything no. about that at all. It was down to this guy going, oh, I like that song. That reminds me very much of the book Tipping Point, the, mm-hmm. the Malcolm Gladwell book. Um, where he talks about the the revival of Hush Puppy Shoes, and it was all to do with one one group of friends at one nightclub that got yeah. into them for some reason, and then there was a fashion designer there that decided to pick up on them, and so it went on. Yeah. But with Tipping Point, there was always this kind of underlying message in it that you can manufacture these kinds of things. But, uh, yeah, you can't, can you? It is There is a big chunk of luck in it. There is no way we could have manufacturing no, what happened no there. you're right you're right i mean don't don't get me wrong all the radio stations in america are um what's the right word to use here um encouraged to play certain records over others yes but we were being encouraged in just as much as any other new app yeah yeah so yeah it's still luck at the end of the all day. very interesting yeah anyway i think we've waffled on enough for one week yes um, do you have a joke to finish us i off do on? and seeing as we were talking about dave grohl who started his life off as Nirvana's drummer. I've got a drummer joke. A drummer joke. Okay. Yeah. So a drummer, sick of all the drummer jokes, decides to change his instrument. After some thought, he decides on the accordion. So he goes to the music store and says to the owner, "I'd like to look at the accordion. I'd like to look at the accordions, please." The owner gestures to a shelf in the corner and says, "All our accordions are over there." After browsing, the drummer says, "I think I'd like the big red one in the corner." The store owner looks at him and says, "You're a drummer, aren't you?" The drummer crestfallen says, how did you know? And the store owner says, that big red, red accordion is a radiator. <laughs> <laughs> is there, I didn't even know there was a thing about drummers. The drummers considered thick or something then? Uh, they might be. <laughs> Can all musicians and drummers come to the stage and all things like that? Oh, right. Okay, <laughs> that's that's so one thing. Yes, yes, thick and not musicians. Right. Okay. <laughs> I see. Right. Less. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, in, on this podcast, we're not prejudiced against drummers. So if you're a drummer, you're more than welcome to continue listening to the show. <laughs> um, and for everybody else, go and check out bowegworld.com forward slash season forward slash five and make suggestions about posts that we can cover. Um, we do love getting your suggestions, mainly because it means I don't have to do any work, which is always a bonus. Um, anything else you want to say? No, this one's gone on for plenty long enough. So we'll stop now. Yes. <laughs> The podcast will go to the designing, developing,